Romans 12, 1 through 2, we are reminded that we are not alone in this journey. God is the one who transforms the way we think. One of the ways that God does that is by asking the right questions, often tough questions, even questions we'd prefer to ignore, but they are critical questions. His questions are like windows to the mind. How are you thinking? Good morning, guys. Hey, my name is Michael. If I've not got a chance to meet you yet, I get to be one of the pastors here, and I'd love to do so after service as I've never got to meet you. Let me tell you where we've been the past couple of weeks. We're all in a brand new series, and we're talking about the questions that God asks to man. And I've asked you this every week. I'm going to ask you it this week again. Does God ask questions because he doesn't know the answer? No, God comes to humanity and he asks us questions so that we might know the answer because he wants to teach us something. He wants to teach us how to think right. And so the very first question that we looked at is the first question that he comes to humanity with where he comes to Adam and Eve and he asks the question, where are you? Last week we looked at the question that he asked Jacob and he said, what is your Name, good. We can move on to the third one. The third one is this question What is in your hand? What is in your hand? That's where we're going to be today. And we'll be in Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 17 today. Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 17 today. Hey, while you're turning there, let me tell you a story. Everybody say, Story time. I used to work at this place called FedEx, and it was great. I loved it. I got to work with some of the most interesting, scary people on the planet. And about nine months into me working into FedEx, my boss calls me over, and he's like, hey, Sharon, come here. I got some questions for you. And I'm like, man, I hadn't been late. I've been, been showing up, you know, like what's going on? So he says, I got some questions for you. And hey, man, listen, there's no judgment. I just need you to be honest with me. And I'm thinking like, okay, man, what's going on? He said, do you have a valid driver's license? I said, yeah, I do. He goes, it's not suspended. Like it's not getting ready to get taken away. And I said, nope. I said, I got it. It's good. And then he said, okay. He goes, listen, he said, there's no judgment here. He said, I just need to know, can you pass a drug test? I said, yeah, man, I can pass a drug test. Give me the cup. Like, let's go. Like, I'll do it right now. I can pass a drug test. He said, okay. He said, listen, we're kind of thinking that you might be a good candidate to drive around the yard in a yard bird. Let me show you guys what a yard bird is. So basically at FedEx or any major transportation hub, there are these trailers that come and get dropped off. And then there are people that work there that get in these trucks called yard birds and they drive them around. So this is a yard bird. I spent the next four years, five days a week, driving this thing around. And it is Awesome! It was incredible. I mean, my boss thought because I had a driver's license and I could pass a drug test that I'd be a good candidate for heavy machinery. <laughs> and I guess I was. I mean, I loved it. I enjoyed it. Had a great time. And I put on like 25 pounds in my first six months going from unloading boxes to driving around a truck. But it was great. Hey, can I tell you something that I distinctly remember to this day about that yard bird? It's been over 10 years ago since I've driven one of those things, but I can still, right now, in my mind, tell you where every single thing inside that truck was. 
I can tell you what the steering wheel felt like. I can tell you where the gear shift was. I can tell you where the fifth wheel lever was. I can tell you where the handle was that opened the back door. I can tell you what the handles of the air hoses felt like when you clipped them into the trailer. I can tell you what the turny thing felt like when you're raising up the legs. I can tell you what the, the metal blocks felt like when you slid them underneath the trailer. I mean, I can remember exactly what it feels like in my hands. And here's the truth about our hands. Our hands have a memory to them. Our hands have a memory. And, and right now, some of you guys are thinking about the stuff that you do with your hands for your job. And you have tools that you work with. And if I told you to close your eyes, could you feel exactly what they felt like right now? Hey, for those of you who work on a computer, you definitely know what that feels like. Those keys are never moving, right? We know what the keyboard, we know what the mouse is like. Our hands have... A memory. And today's question comes from God to a shepherd, and he asks the question, What is in your hand? And it's going to be a super important question for Moses. So let me tell you where we're going to spend our time together today and what I want us to do. This morning, I want us to see three lessons that God is going to teach Moses. Three lessons that God is going to teach Moses with this question, what is in your hand? Let me give you a little background into Moses. This will be quick. But Moses, right, in the Old Testament is the boy who was spared. Pharaoh gives a command that all the newborn males should be slaughtered, but Moses is spared because of his mother and his sister. He's eventually adopted into Pharaoh's family by Pharaoh's daughter. Moses grows up, and it says that he's out walking around one day, and he sees the affliction of his people. There's an Egyptian beating an Israelite, and so Moses kills the Egyptian. And it's found out that Moses kills the Egyptian, and that Pharaoh's told, and Pharaoh basically sends word and says, I'm coming to kill you, Moses. So Moses runs away to a place called Midian. And Moses will spend the next 40 years of his life in this place called Midian with a brand new job. He's going to be a shepherd. He's going to spend 40 years with sheep, walking them around a mountain. And that's Exodus chapter 1 and 2. Exodus chapter 3 tells us the story of how God appears to Moses as he is being a shepherd in the form of the burning, burning bush. And he speaks to Moses. And he calls Moses to be the one that rescues Israel out of the hands of Egypt. And that's where our passage is going to start today. Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. Before I read, put your hand on somebody next to you and pray this over them. Pray it over yourself. Would you just say this over them and over yourself today? God, speak, and I will listen. Father God, we come to you, and God, we know that your word is alive and active, that it is living. So God, we pray that you would make it alive today through your Holy Spirit. God, that you might speak to us and cause us to listen, God. God, let us never look at this story again the same and let us ask the question, what is in my hand? God, would you teach us what you want to this morning through the power of your word? We ask that you would do this in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. Exodus chapter four, verses one through 17, God has just told Moses, Moses, I choose you. You're gonna be the next deliverer of Israel. Go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. Exodus chapter four, verse one says this, but Moses 
protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? And then the Lord asked him, what is in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw the staff, and it turned into a snake. And Moses jumped back. Of course he did. And then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. Well, that'd be fun. So Moses reached out and he grabbed it and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform this sign, the Lord told him, and then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac, and the God of Abraham really has appeared to you. And then the Lord said to Moses, now put your hand again inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak and when he took it out again, his hand was white as snow with a severe skin disease, leprosy. Now put your hand back into your cloak, the Lord said. So Moses put his hand back in, and when he took it out again, it was as healthy as the rest of his body. And the Lord said to Moses, if they do not believe and they are not convinced by the first miraculous sign, they will after these two signs. Then take some of the water from the Nile and pour it out on the dry ground. And when you do, the water from the Nile will turn into blood on the ground. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been. I'm not even now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. And the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, whether they hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you as to what to say. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, Please send anyone else. And then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well, and look, he is on the way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him. Put the words in his mouth, and I will be with both of you as you speak, and I will instruct you both in what to do. And Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. He will be your mouthpiece, and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. And take your shepherd's staff with you and use it to perform the miraculous signs that I have shown you. Hey, lesson number one that God is about and is going and is teaching Moses is this. Moses, I see your excuses. Everybody say excuses. Excuses. Moses, I see your excuses. Do you see all Moses' excuses? Lord, they won't believe me. They won't listen to me. Lord, I can't talk. Lord, send anyone else. Moses hears the call of God on his life to do something, and his very first instinct is to give excuses of why he can't do what he knows that the the Lord is calling him to do. Boy, that's not like us at all, is it? Hey, I want you to do this, but God... I'm calling you to ministry, but Lord, I I had other plans. I'm calling you to get involved in generosity, but Lord, I got a boat. I got a storage unit bill to pay for. 
I'm getting over it. I am calling you to forgive. But Lord, I'm telling you to do this. But Lord. Hey, anybody else in the room, you know you're good at giving excuses? Like you can justify doing just about whatever you want to do and you can give excuses. Hey, let me tell you the truth about my excuses. Michael's excuses do not excuse Michael from doing what God told him to do. And neither do yours. Excuses are still excuses. And God's calling Moses out on them. Most of us and our excuses when God tells us to do something is we look at what we think that we are capable of and because we think that we're not capable of doing what God has told us to do, we just write it off and say, I can't do that. That's our excuse. Our excuse is our own limited capability. But Frank, can I tell you something? God doing something incredible with you and in your life has very little to do with your capability. Let me say that again. God doing something incredible in your life has very little to do with your capability. It is not about you. The only part of it that is about you is whether or not you will be obedient, right? Everybody say, let's go to the pool. I love going to the pool, right? I love it. And one of my favorite things to do at the pool and to see at the pool are those parents that are at the pool and the kid is scared to death to get in the pool. Why is the kid scared to death to get in the pool? They can't what? They can't swim, right? So every parent, you, you've done this, I've done this, it's one of my favorite things to do. You get them to the edge of the pool, right? And you're like, hey, come on, I'm gonna hold you, I'm gonna pick you up. And then they get to the edge of the pool and you don't pick them up, you don't hold them. What do you tell them to do? You say, okay, now. Here we go. Jump to me. And they just stand there. You're like, come on, jump to me. And they're like, but I can't swim. And you're sitting there thinking, I know, I'm standing in the water. You do not need to be able to swim to survive the jump. You need to be to me to survive the jump. So just jump. And all of us look at our kids in that moment and we're like, Quit being ridiculous. Just do what I've told you to do. Just jump. It's going to be fine. Hey, don't you think the Lord might look at us like that when you were using our own capabilities as the excuse of why I can't do this? He can touch the bottom of the deep end, y'all. You're going to be just fine. Jump! Hey, here's the point. Moses here is saying, God, I cannot do it. He's grown comfortable in being a shepherd, and that's why God asked the question, what is in your hand? And it was a shepherd's staff. Hey, for, for a lot of us, we're looking at what's in our hand, and we know the truth. We know that we can't do what God's called us to do if we continue to hold on to our excuses. If we continue to hold them, we will not be able to do what God has called us to do. And that's why God told Moses the first instruction, throw it on the ground. Get rid of it. Hey, friend, here's what I know about you, and here's what I know about me. If you and I don't come to the point in our life where we're not willing to throw down or let our hands go on the excuses that we're holding into, you're going to miss out on the greatness of God in your life. Let me say that again. God is not going to come rip your excuses away from you. God is waiting on you to willingly throw it down. And if you don't, you are going to miss out on the greatness of God in your life. 
The first command that God gives of throw down the staff is not about the staff. It is about Moses throwing down excuses. So here's the personal question. What excuses are you holding on to right now? Can I tell you the truth of what I know about some of my excuses? Some of my excuses, and I know this about you too, some of your excuses are about mistakes that you've made. And you use the mistakes that you've made to convince yourself and to let the enemy convince you that you could never do that because of mistakes that you've made. Hey, look at me and listen to me. Mistakes that you've made are still excuses. <laughs> if he's called you and he's told you, that's the only qualification that you need. Everybody say residents. I got to brag on these guys for a second. A couple months ago, one of our residents was teaching on Wednesday night, and he said something. Everybody say, Justin. Justin said it, and it rocked my world. You need to write this down in the middle of your excuses the next time. Here's what Justin said. I wrote it down. It's so good. Here's what it is. God doesn't need a perfect person to have a perfect plan. Man, ain't that good? God does not need a perfect person to have a perfect plan. Hey, a lot of our excuses have to deal with we know that we're not perfect people, therefore God could not use us. That is a lie from the pit, friend. God does not need a perfect person in order to have a perfect plan. He is perfect. So the first thing that God is teaching Moses is, Moses, I see your excuses. And you can either hold on to them or you can let go of them and experience greatness in your life. Here's lesson number two that God is teaching Moses, and I think he wants to teach us. Lesson number two is this. Moses, I've never had a doubt in you. Moses, I've never had a doubt in you. Reread with me Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. Listen to this. But, the, but Moses pleaded with the Lord, Oh, Lord, I'm not good with words. I never have been. And now, even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied. My words get tangled. And the Lord asked Moses, Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether they speak or not? Hear or do not see? See or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak. And I will instruct you with what to say. Can I just blow your mind for a second? Can I just like encourage God's people for one moment? Please listen to me. Please hear me when I say this. Your thoughts about yourself are not God's thoughts about you. Hey, your thoughts about yourself, what you think when you're alone, when you're feeling down the dumps, when you're feeling defeated, are not God's thoughts about you. Moses here has every doubt in himself. And let me blow your mind. God, the God of the universe, comes to Moses and basically says, I've never had a doubt in you. I've made you for this. I've created you for this. You know what we'll do? We'll listen to what other people say about us 
and we can have a 30-second conversation with someone, and we'll let it shape our next 30 days. We'll let the doubt of somebody who was created override the word of the creator. And I do this too, right? Like all the time I'm thinking, man, can I really do this? Am I really about to get up in front of people and talk? Am I really about to do this? Hey, here's what I know. If the Lord has called you to do something, he's not doubted for a millisecond that you could do it. And listen to me, that's not about you. It is all about the statement that he tells Moses, but I will be with you. The Lord has never had a doubt in you. Your creator has never doubted you. Even though your family has, even though your friends have, even though you have. Hey, your creator, he reminded Moses, who made the mouth? Who decides if people get to speak or not? Is it not I? I wonder what that must have felt like for Moses to have a conversation with God, to give all these excuses about all the doubt that he had in himself, and then God basically just say, yeah, none of that's true. <laughs> it probably felt like exactly what it would feel like if the Lord told us that right now. What are you, are you serious? It's not true? It's not true about me, God? He's never had a doubt. Hey, anybody in the room like cows? I love cows. Let's look at some cows together. I don't have cows. I've never had cows. Probably won't ever have cows, but I like cows. In fact, let me tell you how much I like cows. Cows, they're my favorite pet to eat. I like them. I like tacos. It's good. I'm probably going to have some today or some form of them today. I really like steak fajitas, right? It's good. I, I love a good burger, right? Like with the egg in it and you bite into it. Mm, it's good. All the barnyard animals in one plate. <laughs> hey, I like steaks. I like steaks. Anybody like steak? Yeah, I had a good steak this week. It was awesome. Hey, and my favorite cow product, right, by far, takes the cake. It's ice cream, right? I love cows. They are my favorite pet to eat in multiple multiple different ways they're great hey how much do you think an average adult cow weighs what would you say participate with me what would you say some of y'all are farmers in here you're cow people what do they weigh about 1500 pounds right that's a big old boy right there 1500 pounds that's a big thing uh, here's a i found fascinating about cows did you know that nearly all cows can be contained and controlled with something called a T-post. Everybody say a T-post. Y'all, there's a picture of a T-post and a fence. There's, there's a T-post, and they've got this, this thing that goes over the top of the T-post, and it holds this barbed wire down. Anybody ever spent a summer driving T-posts before? Boy, that'll make you thankful. That'll make you have a lot of fun. Hey, here's what's crazy about the T-post. I mean, you get that thing on there, and you start slamming it down, and a T-post weighs about seven and a half pounds for a six-footer, which is crazy to think that a 1,500-pound animal can be contained by a seven-and-a-half-foot or a six-and-a-half-foot post that weighs seven pounds. And here's the truth. Here's, here's what we know about all cows. If that cow decided, I'm getting out of this fence, could the fence stop the cow? 
There ain't no way. I'm not even good at math, and I know that. Like, if a 1,500-pound animal tries to step on something that's seven and a half pounds, it's going down. But that cow will be completely contained by that fence. Hey, what holds that cow in place doesn't even compare to the strength that the cow has inside of it. What holds that cow in place is fear. It's what contains that beast of burden. Like, can I tell you something? Listen to me. Listen to me. The enemy is busy right now putting fences up all around God's people. And the fences that are around our lives that keep us in are two things. Fear of the unknown and self-doubt. Fear of the unknown and self-doubt. And I came here to tell you this morning, jump the fence! Jump the fence! Experience life on the other side of the cage! And here's what's crazy. Y'all know what cows do when one cow finds a way to get out? You know what happens? They all getting out. Hey, did you know that translates to you? That, that when one person, right, you've experienced this, you've seen this, when one person decides, man, I'm gonna take a leap of faith, something inside of you just stirs up. The fires of faith. Hey, the enemy is busy putting up fences. And just like that cow, listen to me, the, the fence that the enemy is busy putting up in your life doesn't even compare to what you possess inside of you if you have the Holy Spirit, faith. It doesn't even compare. God comes to Moses and he says, I see your excuses. God comes to Moses and says, I've never had a doubt in you. Let me show you the third thing that God is teaching Moses in this passage. The third thing is this. Moses, I can do the incredible with the ordinary. Moses, I can do the incredible with the ordinary. Read with me. Exodus chapter 4, verse 2, and then we're going to read Exodus chapter 4, verse 17. So the beginning and the ending of the chapter says this. Then the Lord asked him, what is in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Verse 17, into the chapter, and take your shepherd's staff with you and use it to perform the miraculous signs that I have shown you. What's in Moses' hand? I, that's a rhetorical question. What's in Moses' hand? A staff. This is not the staff that Moses had. If it was, we wouldn't have to have a building fund. You know what I'm saying? We could just sell it off. Moses tells God that what is in his hand is a shepherd's staff. And we know this, right, because we eat candy canes. A shepherd's staff would have had a, has a hook on it, right? It's meant to reach out, grab the sheep, pull it off. I want you to think about this. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, and even now, like, I like to have something for a long time, okay? So, like, when I was a kid, I had, like, my stick at the house. Anybody else like that? Like, you got something that's just yours, right? Moses probably had that shepherd's staff the entire time that he was a shepherd. And if it broke, he got a new one and he kept on to it. He was not swapping out staffs every day, y'all. 
So when God asked the question, what is in your hand? Here's the point. There would have been nothing that Moses would have been more familiar with in his life than what's been in his hand all day, every day for probably 40 years. He could have looked at that staff and looked at every notch, nick, and cranny and said, yep, remember how that happened? Yep, I had to hit Shirley the sheep with it. Got dented. Yep, I remember that. Oh, there was that splinter. Put me out for two weeks. He would have known the staff. He would have been very familiar with the staff. And God is about to blow Moses' mind with something that he's become very familiar with. God is about to use the very thing that Moses thinks he knows all about and use it to do things that are absolutely incredible. Because that's the kind of God that we serve. We serve a God who can take ordinary things and do extraordinary things with them. Just think about this. Here's some miracles that the staff performs. The staff is there when Moses and Aaron go and confront Pharaoh, and he throws it down on the ground, and this staff becomes a snake and eats all the other snakes. The staff is there when Moses turns the Nile River into blood. Hey, the staff is there when Moses calls in the locusts and calls down the hail. The staff is there. Hey, the staff is there when they're crossing over the Red Sea. A million and a half people running out of Egypt, and there's the chariots, there's Pharaoh, and the staff is there raised up over the Red Sea, and the people walk on through. The staff is there in the wilderness when they hold it up and they look onto the serpent, and if they look and they believe they are healed, the staff is there. Because God can do the incredible with the ordinary. Ephesians 3.20 is one of my favorite verses in the Scriptures. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than what we could ever think, ask, or imagine... That's the God that we serve, the one who is able to do far more abundantly than what we can think, ask, or imagine. And Moses is getting ready to experience the greatness of God, God turning the ordinary into the extraordinary for the next 40 years of his life. Oh my God, I just, I just wish God would do that today, but God doesn't do that today anymore. God, God doesn't use ordinary for extraordinary anymore. Yeah, he does. He did it again in the New Testament. Acts chapter 4, verse 13 says this. When, when they put the, all the disciples, all the apostles on trial, here's what they said. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures, but they recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Hey, here's the point. Moses using this staff and God telling Moses to use the staff is not about the staff. Hey, if there is one person in Moses' story that felt ordinary, who do you think it was? It's Moses. It's literally the Egyptian prince of Egypt that gets kicked out and spends the next 40 years in the wilderness. Hey, you want to feel ordinary? Start spending a lot of time with farmyard animals. You'll feel ordinary. That's why Moses couldn't talk. He was talking to sheep for 40 years. Hadn't had a normal conversation. He's ordinary. 
God is telling Moses that, Moses, even though you look at yourself as ordinary, I can still do something incredible with you. Moses, even though you still look at yourself and you doubt yourself, I can still do something incredible with your life. There's nothing special about Moses. The thing that makes Moses special is his obedience and his pursuit of the presence of God. Moses is obedient. And he pursues the presence of God. And here's what God does for Moses. Just like Moses takes up the staff in his fan, and he does incredible things with that staff, God puts Moses in his own hand. And God will spend the next 40 years wielding Moses around to bring freedom and salvation to millions of people to come. Hey, here's the point, and here's where I'm going with all this. Here's, here's what I want you to think about. If all of this is true for Moses, as an ordinary man that God came and used and did incredible stuff with, what could God do with you? Hey, here's what I know about you. Here's what I know about me. Y'all were ordinary. None of us went pro. We're here. We're ordinary. There's nothing extraordinary about us. But there could be something extraordinary about all of us if we respond with obedience and pursue the presence of God. I wonder what God could do with you. Hey, I wonder what incredible things God might have in store for new work. Hey, anybody right now, you would say, I want to be used to do incredible things. Both hands up. I want it. I want to be used. Here I am, Lord. Use me. Let me tell you the quickest way to get there. Stop with the excuses. Stop it. Put the doubt away. He's never had a doubt in you. And invite him to wield you. And you'll wake up one day and you won't even recognize who you are in a good way. Will you pray with me? Father God, we come to you, and God, we're thankful this morning. God, we're thankful that you are a God who sees all of our excuses and you call them out. God, we're thankful that you're a God who sees our self-doubt and you speak life into us. And God, we are most thankful of all that you come and use ordinary people and you use ordinary things to do incredible things. God, thank you that that's who you are. God, thank you that that is your character. God, I pray that you would cause your people to respond the way that you want us to respond. A response of obedience. God, here I am. I'm full surrender. I'll do whatever it is you're telling me to do. And that we would respond by saying, I've just got to get in the presence of God so he can do something incredible in my life. God, we love you. Would you do all this through Jesus' name? And the church said, amen.